latest episode of the Tennis IQ podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about how to respond after a big loss. Um, these losses could, could look differently. It could be um, more of a lopsided loss. And we're going to talk about uh, a recent uh, situation where that occurred at the professional level and how that player uh, responded uh, immediately afterwards. Um, but in addition to more of a lopsided loss, it could be a loss at, during a big match, uh, maybe a match that you really look forward to. It could be a certain opportunity, maybe a semifinal or a final. Um, but the reason really where this topic came from um, was from a recent match um, where Emma Raducanu, uh, who, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, um, you know came from, from being ranked uh, outside the top 100 and won the uh won the u.s open last year as an 18 year old um and with that there comes you know there, there are some strings attached there are some increased expectations there may be some increased pressure certainly a lot more publicity surrounding her um but in her most recent tournament she lost she lost six oh six six love six one um to elena rabacana um and how did she respond Right, she lost six love, six one, um, and w- what I think is uh, really important and really where this uh, the, some of the basis for this episode is in a couple of the quotes that came out right after this loss, and um, I'll share those quotes and then we can uh, get into some of the themes. And I think there's um, a lot of broader themes about how um, all athletes and all tennis players can respond after losing and what might be some some best practices for for that type of situation. Um, so the first quote is, I just want to keep putting myself out there. Even if I keep getting knocked down, it's not about, sorry, even if I, even if I keep getting knocked down, it's just about getting back up. You're one step better and you learn more. So that, that's that first quote. And I think there's, there's a lot of good stuff here in terms of that process of constantly getting back up that process of, you know, wanting to be one step better, knowing that you, it is inevitable that you will, you know, keep getting knocked down, but trying to get a little bit better, trying to keep learning a little bit more. Brian, should we get into this quote a little bit uh, more first, and then we can um, get on, go on to those other two? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, there's, there's similar theme maybe in one of the other quotes, but I think, um, the idea of putting yourself out there, it's a common response after a tough loss to maybe go into a shell and not want to go back out there. Um, and I think when that happens, it's because perhaps we're a little bit too focused on the result and, and how we're feeling about that. And maybe we're feeling poorly about that. And, um, you know, to Emma's credit here, she gets it that it's not about any one result. It's about the process of learning and becoming better um and you know it sounds like to have this philosophy at her age she's been surrounded by a lot of people that who have done a a really good job with her to let her know that um it's really important that this is this be treated as a learning environment and so this this quote just made me think of a couple of other things, um, you know, things that we have talked about in the past, but one of them was a, a quote from the sort of legendary American football coach, 
a guy named Bill Walsh. He was the coach of the San Francisco 49ers uh, when they won several Super Bowls. And, um, you know, kind of in this theme of a learning environment, he said, when the environment is dedicated to learning, the result takes care of itself. And that may not happen on a daily basis, right? Especially early on. But if, if someone like Emirata Kanu can be um, focusing more on learning and getting better and not so focused on having to win or you know deriving some sort of value from wins and losses, she's going to be a much better player for it. And, and the beautiful thing is that you know she's already got the physical tools to be a great player because it, it, she went through that U.S. Open women's singles tournament without dropping a set. And I don't think – maybe not even the qualifiers, right? Did she drop a set maybe in the qualifiers or – um, I don't think she hardly played a competitive set. She was, I mean, m- most of the most of the sets were pretty lopsided for you know, for her side. Yeah, so we know she's got the physical piece, and um, but as you and I both know, and and we've discussed at times on this this podcast, competing is a skill in itself. It needs practice, and and I think that's what you know she she ended up doing here. Um, it's just getting, you know, let's get back out there. Let's do it again. And uh, I think that's really impressive way to respond to the situation because you know losing zero and one nobody likes that. Very easy to just say, terrible day. I don't want to deal with it. Whatever. No, absolutely. Um, and I think you know your your comment there made me think about what can we all as as tennis players as as athletes do to. Um, make sure that, that our environments are um, specific for, you know, that, that we're creating learning environments um, intentional. Yeah. Um, whether that means that we're journaling, whether that means we're doing match analysis, um, whether that means we're reflecting on our practice or our, on how our development plan is going. Um, let's say, you know, thinking a, over a few month period of time. Um, but the more that we can intentionally design our environment, in a way that's conducive to, uh, to learning the better. Um, but no, I, I, th- I think that this leads to uh, that, that second and third quote in terms of not just how she viewed the situation, but ultimately her response, which I think was, was really impressive. And I think, you know, is, has a lot to do with ultimately how she um, ha- will be able to handle the situation and bounce back after a loss like that. Um, so the second quote is, after the match, I got a box of balls and went straight to practice. I felt like I could have done some things better in the match, and I wanted to try to fix it straight away. And this next quote, I could have easily said it's too soon and just play next week, but I, really, but I wanted to really test where I'm at. I think, I think this will help me in putting me in a better place for next week. So I, I think that says a lot. And, I, you know, she's certainly not the first player to do this, to be out in the practice court after – after a match, whether a win or a loss, but uh, it says a lot that you're not satisfied um, with whatever just happened. And as you said, Brian, that you don't want to just sort of turn away from it and not look at it, not address it, but Hey, let's, let's work on it. There, you know, there are some things that, as she said, there's some things that during the match that she could have done better with, and she wanted to try to fix it or address it straight away. So I think that that shows that she's is dedicated to that learning process and that process of 
improvement regardless of sort of the pain of whatever loss that, that she had just taken. It's an extremely professional attitude as well. Um, it, it shows that she recognizes that this is her job. This is her profession. Um, and, you know, the most important thing she can be doing is working on her skills. You know, it, it reminded me of, um, I don't know if you've seen it, there's a, a documentary about Andy Murray on Amazon Prime, at least in, in the U.S. And um, I remember there was one time where he's, you know, doing some rehab exercises and, you know, he's really working hard at it. And it, it was almost like he got a question like, you know, how do you do this every day? How do you work so hard? And his, his answer was, this is my job. And right and his body, that's one of his major assets for, for his job, especially the way he plays the game. And I think this is a good recognition on Emma's part that this is her job. This is her profession. It is you know up to her to go out and be the best that she can. So going out to the practice court after um, you know a performance that you're not happy with makes total sense. So that you know by the time you get to your hotel room or get to dinner, you feel a little bit better that okay, yeah, maybe it was a bad match, but we worked on some things. I'm in a better place now. And um, so I just thought that you know that particular quote was really great in terms of it's a. Uh, super professional attitude. And um, again, not all of us can say that playing tennis is our job. It's our profession. Uh, for many of us, it's just something that we love to do. And it, you know, we may have other careers and so forth. And we can't necessarily dive into things like this, but we can certainly admire it. And, and maybe there is uh, a higher level of professionalism that all of us could bring to how we respond to this. Maybe we don't necessarily go right out there after. Maybe there aren't courts available or whatever, but maybe we plan a practice session. We set up something with our coach, right, to to learn from what happened and try to get yourself back in, into the groove um, and, and work on some things that didn't go well. Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, the only way to improve on these areas is, is to address it. Um, and as you said, you know, we're not all in the position where this is, you know, our profession or our job. Um, but adding that extra element of professionalism, adding that element of being able to analyze what happened and, um, yeah. And, and really trying to, you know, work on whatever those areas that maybe caused that result. Um, and, you know, it's likely also if, it, if there was a certain shot for a certain reason that caused this result, it probably wasn't the first time. Um, so noticing those patterns and, you know, also I think viewing the situation in a non-judgmental way it can be very easy after a loss like, like this to, to beat yourselves up, to think about, you know, some people even think about quitting the sport or lose, you know, they're wondering why they're playing, you know, why am I even playing anyways, if I, if I'm going to have a result like that. Um, I think part of it also is, is normalizing. Um, that, that, that's one thing, you know, normalizing that every athlete has those ups and downs, has these sorts of matches, but really what's important is that you can learn from it and, and move on and not dwell on it, not keep holding on to a result like this um, or identifying with it too much. Yeah. Um, I think, I think another important uh, aspect of this is thinking about, you know, everything that she's been through these past, let's say four, four or five months. Um, 
in terms of, you know, sort of this rise to stardom and the, the fact that there are some, um, some, you know, increased pressures and some increased expectations here. And though we may not, you know, most of us aren't at the, at this level, at the grand slam level, certainly, um, we can all relate in some way or another might be being bumped up, um, from a USTA level, um, you know, an NTRP level, three, 3.0 to 3.5, 3.5 to 4.0, etc. It could be that the jump from playing um, high school tennis to college tennis, um, or or whatever sort of bump. Um, It could be maybe you you've reached your first level in a you know first semifinal or first final in a certain tournament or a certain level of tournament, and all of a sudden, you know maybe there's better greater expectations on that you put on yourself on that others put on yourself, um, and greater pressure. Um, and thinking about, you know, coming back to a quote that, that we've, uh, referenced in the past in terms of, um, you know, keeping your expectations low, but your standards high, making sure that you're doing everything within your control to ultimately perform well, but not, um, you know, not putting too many expectations on yourself, not putting too much pressure on yourself. Um, what, once you, you know, achieve new heights where if, if it's a new ranking or a new sort of level that, that you've achieved, not letting that mean that all of a sudden you're adding all these extra expectations to yourself because that, that can have a really detrimental impact. Yeah. And I think with expectations, especially in, in, in the UK, um, you know, the British media, they do play up their tennis players, um, very much, you know, and, um, some of it's great. They, they, they cheer them on a ton, but then the media can, can sometimes be tough as well there, um, more so than I would say what tennis players face in the United States. Um, and so she has to deal with that, right? Because she has, um, you know, that whole media base, the entire, you know, uh, UK uh, island, you know, rooting for her is the same way that they root for Andy Murray, the same way they rooted for Tim Henman. Um, you know, there, there can be a lot of pressure and expectations just coming from that and all of the media attention that she receives, all the endorsements that she's received. Um, it's hard to, you know, certain players might feel like, oh, am I justifying all this attention or all these endorsements and so forth? But, you know, her response shows that, again, she's being really professional about it. Um, and, and I love that. Um, something you had said earlier, Josh, made me also think about a topic we had discussed in a previous episode about um, how to explain to yourself what happened, right? Because you mentioned, uh, you know, she could have thought different things or, you know, commonly we might not want to examine this or, you know, think of we're, you know, we're bad players and so forth, right? And so we want to make sure that we understand kind of the three Ps of how we, need to talk to ourselves about a disappointing result so that it doesn't become, you know, like a a, sort of an albatross or a big thing for you. So the three Ps are permanence, pervasiveness, and personalization. So when we're thinking about a loss like this, we don't want to indicate that this is something that always happens. So for something like Emma, you know, she's not saying that, hey, maybe just a bad day. I'm going to go work on this. And she immediately channels it forward. Um, we don't want it to be 
perceived as pervasive, like this always, you know, this is just who I am. Like I'm a loser. I'm a terrible player. Um, you're not a terrible player. Maybe you just didn't have a good day. Maybe you just didn't prepare well or something else went wrong. And then we don't want to personalize it into, um, you know, that this is, uh, you know, like I'm a failure because of this. Um, and you mentioned that you don't want to over identify or identify too much with the result. So, you know, we do want to take responsibility, which is what she's done. She's taken responsibility, but it's like, okay, what can I do now to, to get better? So I think those are just some things to think about because we all have tough losses. We've all had matches. I'm sure that we have some regrets about, or we would like to play over. Um, but we don't want those matches to turn basically into a slump or to, you know, turning like one bad match into a trend. Like, oh, I'm always playing badly. Well, that's one bad match. It's not not necessarily a trend, right? So I think it's important uh, how to do this. And this is a, this narrative style helps us to be more optimistic um, going forward rather than pessimistic. You know, a pessimistic narrative style is, is you know, we, if we look at these things as being permanent and pervasive and it's all about us, um, yeah, we're more likely to have a harder time snapping out of it. And I think what... You know, these quotes that you are sharing with us from Emma shows that she understands how to explain what happened to her in a really productive, optimistic, forward-looking way. Shows, yeah, shows a lot of maturity. Uh, definitely shows a lot of maturity. Uh, actually reminds me a little bit of um, some of the quotes that we've shared in the past from Iga Sviantek mm. and how she views, you know, how she views performance and development um, sort of, you know, embracing the aspects of competition, knowing that, you know, losses and setbacks are inevitable along that pathway. Um, but no, it, it definitely shows, um, shows a, a willingness to get better. Um, and I mean, it, it can also be easy, you know, easy after a loss, after a big loss to look for an excuse. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. I wasn't, I, I, I lost six love six one because I wasn't feeling good or I lost that by that score because I was cheated or whatever, because, you know, I, I, my strings are too loose or I had the wrong racket or whatever, whatever it is. I, 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 uh, you know, woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Um, but rather than that, she's taking accountability and getting straight to it in terms of, improving on whatever areas, you know, they don't mention the quote exactly what, what it is. Um, actually some videos surfaced of her training afterwards, but, um, getting right to it in terms of, you know, working on those areas of the game that, that she wants to address, you know, leading up to the Australian open, which is obviously where she has her sights set after winning the last, the most recent grand slam. Um, so it's, I, it says a lot that, that she's, um, you know, not just, you know, I, I think if we go back to that, that last quote, um, I could have easily said it's too soon and just play next week, but I, I wanted to really test where I'm at. I think this will help in putting me in a better place for next week. So the point is, you know, I'm not just going to like put this off behind me, but hey, let's address what's going on um, because that's going to set me up for in a better position for my upcoming tournaments and for the Australian Open Open. Yeah, maybe she just needs more matches. That's highly possible, right? I think, um, like we were saying earlier, competing in itself is a skill. And when you're 
you know, when you're getting ready for a grand slam, you know, or a major tournament like the Australian Open, um, you want to feel battle tested going into it. And losing that match 0-1 early in that event, um, she probably just needs more matches as well. And I think if we, you know, look at Emma, if we're taking, again, the long-term view, maybe she doesn't have a great Australian Open. Maybe she does. But it won't be a, a big deal because she's going to be around for a while. And uh, if she can continue to have this level of professionalism and dedication to her craft, I think she's going to be a great player for a long time coming. Um, and so to me, a, you know, a great response to this and let's see how she does. You know, I think her playing this week makes a lot of sense in terms of yeah, getting battle tested, getting ready, getting more matches. I think everybody, you know, who listens can probably appreciate that uh, when you're playing more matches, you feel more comfortable playing in tournaments. When you haven't prepared that way, you know it. You can feel that you're not quite right in match play. You're just a little bit uncomfortable. So I think it makes a ton of sense for her to do that and not just postpone it to, uh, to you know, when the first uh, week of the Australian Open begins. And oftentimes it's the little things. It's, it's small margins here or there. It's your yeah. timing. It's your feel. It's your footwork. Comfort level, uh, right? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, with the, these little things can be fine-tuned in that week before a tournament. Um, out on the practice court. So, you know, that, those, it, that time that you're spending there can pay dividends because we know that, that tennis is ultimately a sport of very small margins. There's not generally a huge difference between players of a certain level, especially at the pro level. Um, so it's, you know, by working on these little things, by addressing them is, is ultimately what can make the difference. And I think also another thing, you know, when we talk about this learning environment, um, that, that what's important to note is that this takes place, you know, the, the results that we're referring to take place over time. Just like you, you said, even if she doesn't have a great Australian over time, with this sort of an attitude, the results will take care of themselves. That's right. Um, you know, certain things, there are certain things we can't control. Injuries take place. Maybe you get, you know, bad luck with the draw. You draw the number one seat. Um, maybe you play a match and the, the ball trickles over the net uh, on the left court a few, a few times. And there's going to be good luck and bad luck, but certain things even themselves out over time. But things like how, you know, the way your, your discipline, your work ethic, um, things like, you know, your willingness to address reality and, and what, what's happening in, in your matches, um, these are the sorts of things that pay dividends in the long run. And, you know, when things like luck or good draws or bad draws, you know, take place, they, they ultimately even out over time that this is what ultimately remains and is the difference between the types of careers that players have over a long period of time yeah and if you know emma raticano has a great australian open no one's even going to remember this all in one match it'll just be completely forgotten because i think one thing we want to keep in mind is that these warm-up tournaments i mean they're called they're not really i don't i don't think they necessarily advertise themselves oh we're a warm-up tournament for the australian open i mean but that's what they are and what you know basically they're practice matches 
in you know the in a competitive environment, and that's all they are. Um, when you see some of the other top players play these things, a lot of times they do lose in earlier rounds. They don't. It's not that they don't care that they weren't trying to win, but the goal is to peak for you know the Australian Open or you know some other tournament. Um, and so very often I think players are looking at these things as as practice matches. Um, I don't really know this for a fact, but we don't usually see Novak Djokovic playing such tournaments. Now, part of that could be that, um, forget all the stuff that's going on with him this year, right? But we don't typically see him in these events in Australia. And part of that could be that, you know what? Almost every tournament he plays, he gets all the way to the final. And, you know, that could be sort of energy sapping. So he may have his own way of being battle tested and so forth. But um, everybody has to have a process of feeling more comfortable um, so that when they step out for the big events, they can look back and say, yes, I did everything I could to prepare for this event. And that's, that can be a real confidence boost to you. That you've put in the work, not only off the court, but on the court, but also with more matches. And so, um, you know, when I think of Emma and how she's approaching this, um, yeah, it's really just about her trying to get herself in a, the best position possible to be ready to perform in Australia. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, that's great too. She'll be ready for the next big event. Absolutely. I mean, I, and I, as you mentioned, each player has their own process and figures out over the course of their career what works best for them. I mean, she's you know obviously early on in, in her career. Um, but I mean, I, I think of certain players like Dominic Team, Stan Wawrinka, who, um, you know, at times we've been criticized for the amount of matches that they play leading into a tournament. Um, and, and, you know, each player has their own method, but, um, yeah, as you said, you know, a lot of players, most players do need some matches, do need, you know, that experience leading up to a tournament to feel the ball better, to get that sort of match toughness that we've, referred to in the past where if you haven't played um you know if you haven't played a match for a period of time you can lose certain aspects of it and it can be a subtle difference Definitely. i mean i think back to nadal as well who of course has had many injuries and many throughout his career has had a you know countless times where he's had to come back from an injury and had to come back from an extended leave of, of absence and um you know i he, it always it almost it, pretty much always includes certain warm-up tournaments leading up to a Grand Slam. I mean, even this time around, I mean, he played um, in Mubadala and then unfortunately got COVID. And now, you know, play, just played in, a, I think, Melbourne, um, the, the 250 won it, yeah. um, leading up to the Australian Open. So it's, you know, for, for him, it unfortunately, you know, he's been out for months at a time, you know, many times throughout his career. But um his response or, you know, it, it, it almost always is gearing up to uh, a grand slam or gearing up to, you know, that, that next big thing on the calendar, but he, he doesn't generally go straight away to it. He plays in those warm up tournaments and generally gains steam and starts playing better as he goes. I mean, we've seen it in the past as well, where maybe, you know, the American hardcore swing in, in March 
um, you know, Indian Wells and Miami hasn't always gone his way. And the way that he's gained steam in Europe, when as soon as he gets on that clay, uh, leading up to the to the French Open, is um, is really remarkable. And I think goes goes to what you're saying, Brian, in terms of those those matches that you need to find your rhythm to find your best tennis. Yeah, and he seems like a guy who needs more matches maybe than others. He'll he'll often talk about his feel of the ball, and I think that that comes with the rhythm of playing more matches because even He's had some years where he's done the, the South American swing after Australia. He's played in Buenos Aires. He's played in Brazil. He's played in Acapulco, uh, leading up to that you know the American hardcore piece. Um, and so yeah, he's been willing to go out and play play these events and just to get that feel. Um, and so I think, like we've been saying, you know we're all different in that regard. Um, you know, a guy like Roger Federer, maybe he's different. You know, you don't see him playing so many of those smaller events. Um, and and he, he obviously seems to do quite fine with that, right? Um, but yeah, I think it is just everybody trying to figure out how that works for them. And, um, you know, to bring it back to Emma Raducanu again and, and these quotes that we've been discussing about how she's bouncing back from a, you know, a difficult score, a difficult loss. And how this is just, this is the way to do it. This is just a really prime example of, of how to respond to a difficult loss. Be professional about it. Uh, take ownership of it. Um, and, and simply move forward and, um, and, and do your job. Absolutely. And it's not, uh, it's not typical. It's not typical among, you know, most most players out there, whether at the professional level, whether at the club level. Um, and this is the type of thing that can set you apart from your peers where, um, you know, everybody's going to have losses like this. Everyone's going to have slumps or situations where perhaps you don't play your best, but, but this sort of behavior of, Hey, let's get, you know, and maybe, maybe there's not a court right away after your match, like in, uh, um, being realistic, but, Hey, let's let's get back out there as soon as possible and try to address some of these things. That sort of a mindset, that sort of a mentality, is ultimately what's going to help you with your development and continue to um, improve as a player. Right. Reflect on it, figure it out, own it, and um, yeah, and move forward and realize it's not about any one one match. It's that, you know, as again, we've, we've mentioned tennis as a life project. That's certainly true for the professional players. And um, it's, a, it's, you know, their major life project. And they need to put all, all resources into it. They need to be all in on that, that life project. Otherwise, um, there perhaps will be some regrets at the end of the career. Uh, but like Andy Murray said, and like Emma is, is behaving here, this is their job. This is their profession. This is their major life project. Um, you know, and the more that we can, all of us, take a page from how Emma has, re- has responded to this, I think we'll all be better. We can all you know, own it more, reflect on it. What did I need to work on? And not personalize it so much. Not over-identify with the loss. Um, it's a loss. Big deal. Everybody loses. And... The idea is, can you learn from it and move on? And so that we have losses like that, less. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, let's, let's learn from it. Let's move on. Let's keep rising every time we fall. Um, like that, like that, that quote. Um, and, you know, let's, let's not dwell on it for too long, but let's learn from it and let's move on. Um, rather than, you know, this being something that we're constantly thinking back to or constantly identifying with. Right. Right. So good. Great conversation, Josh. Thank you for that. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check us out on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.